Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here today in a very quiet and deserted Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and today I'm joined by Phil Popham. Phil is the CEO of sports car maker Lotus Cars. Um, Phil, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us on the programme today. Thank you. Good to be there. Yes, it's um, fantastic having you as well, Phil. Now, first and foremost, um, this podcast is all about um, the topic of uh, leadership and um, effective leadership um, at that. And it's coming under scrutiny, uh, perhaps more so than ever before in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak, no less. Um, how has it been for you as a business leader attempting to navigate the last few weeks? Yeah, it means that uh, we've, we've had to react very, very quickly as a, as, as a business. And uh, this is a very serious situation that's hit us, the industry, the world in, in general. Um, well, we had started planning for possible lockdown in the, in the, in the country. We, we were owned, uh, principal shareholders, Julie, a Chinese company. And um, so we'd really got insight to, uh, to what's been happening in China. And one of the things that we did plan was the eventuality of a lockdown in the UK to really maximise our ability for people to continue to work productively at home. So an investment of about £400,000 went in in terms of IT equipment and and IT systems to make sure that our 700-plus managers and engineers can actually work effectively in in the virtual world at uh, home. So those people can get direct access back into Lotus Systems. So our designers, our engineers, our managers are still working pretty effectively from uh, from home. Of course, we've had to uh, cease manufacturing operations uh, in our Norfolk base, which we've done because prim- you know, the primary focus is the safety of our employees. Um, so those, those people uh, are now furloughed effectively in line with the uh, with the employee retention scheme initiative by by the government. Absolutely. And um, if we look at the contrasting approaches to uh, the crisis as well, um, we've taken very much a less hands-on approach than maybe is the case in um, other countries. Um, Because very early on in China, we saw the likes of Xi Jinping putting uh, the country on lockdown. Um, Whereas over here, I mean, we've been much more sort of slower in implementing stricter measures. We had money there, we had procedures in place, but in many ways, we were just waiting to see what happens. And that's also very much the case in Sweden as well, where bars, restaurants are still very much open even to this day. Um, if we take that sort of contrast and approaches away from politics and away from a time of crisis, Phil, um, as a business leader, which sort of approach do you choose to take when dealing with difficulties? Would you rather dive straight in and get on top of the situation as soon as possible? Or would you rather wait, let things play out a bit, see how things develop and then take action from there? I mean, I think the key is to to really analyse what's happening in any situation and be nimble and reactive um, for example, at the moment, although we've actually closed down operations and we've done all that we can short term to make sure that we can operate with people working at home, I chair an executive team meeting virtually at 12 o'clock every, every day. And we analyze what's happening because it's a moving feast and you've got to be able to, to react to that. So whether that's the plans for when we actually come back, um, any investment that we need to make to make sure that people are still effective, things change. And so the key for me is actually responding to good data and having good decision-making with the key managers in place. And that's something, as I say, we do every day at the same time, every day for half an hour. 
Absolutely. And that key decision making, that ability to be reactive is really important for the leaders of today. But what other qualities do you think that leaders of the next generation should have? Um, well, this, it, it's a it, it's a challenging it's a challenging world, and it's a very very competitive industry. Automotive is, but generally, um, industry is is competitive. So I think I think leaders first and foremost they've got to have drive and energy and and, and confidence in, in in themselves. Um, but it's for me, it's all about making sure you, you, you drive your team, you motivate your team. You're only as good a leader is only as good as the ability of, of, of their team. Um, so the ability to motivate people, but motivate people towards a common goal. So it's important to have consistency. People that are running businesses or organizations, they need to be aligned. They need to be pulling in the same di- direction. Um, and you've got to be able to trust in your team. Delegate where, where you can, but delegate with accountability. And if you've got that common goal, that common understanding, you're working and pulling in the same direction, then your ability to, to, to delegate grows confidence to do that and I think finally you know, you've got to communicate well um, if you combine good communication with good decision making governance ability forums to make uh, uh, to make decisions and get alignment on decisions but then communicate that that really helps with that common goal and pulling in uh, in a single direction Absolutely. And to promote that sort of common goal, that cohesion and that trust as well. It's very much a matter of culture as well, isn't it? And the leaders, it it is the leader's responsibility to instill a positive culture on their business, isn't it? It is. Um, No, I've in in the current role at uh, at Lotus, we spent quite a bit of time in terms of really working out what we want to be as a business in the future, uh, in 10 years' time, we call it Vision 80, 70 years old, developing a 10-year plan. And, and, and part of that is not just what you want the business to be, but what you want the culture to be, and why, why you exist, what you want. We want to be an employer of choice. and We want people to want to buy from us. We want people to want to work for us. We want people to want to do business with us. Um, and creating that culture, it's the way you behave, it's the way you communicate, it's the way you pull that team together with a single common goal, a single common direction. That is what actually creates an environment that people want to be part of, a company that they want to actually uh, deal with. Absolutely. And uh, we've talked already about the attributes that team members and also good leaders ought to have. But are those qualities something that people are born with, do you think? Or is it something that you can learn and develop throughout your career? Because some might say that self-motivation and hunger is something that you can't necessarily teach. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a combination of both. So I talked about drive and energy and confidence. And I think to an extent people are People are born with those uh, those attributes, if you call them attributes, um, but they do also develop over time. And success actually breeds confidence, and confidence actually drives you in terms of in terms of drive and energy. Um, I think that other skills in terms of ability to to motivate teams towards a common goal, um, to trust in your team, to have good communications, good decision-making, governance and forum, that, that develops over time. That's through experience. You know, good leaders try things that, that don't work as well. And it's important to learn about things that don't work as much as learning from things that do. It's, uh, it's experience as a leader is an experience of life.
It is absolutely. It's very much a learning process, of course, being a leader. You don't necessarily have a leader that is ready-made for a particular role. They are going to make mistakes. Um, But if we think about your earlier career in particular, Phil, did you always imagine that you would end up in a position of leadership yourself? Uh, I certainly hope I I would be. I've always been ambitious and and, and pretty driven. Um, I've taken some uh, some risks as well in order to to drive that ambition. You know, looking at opportunities. I worked abroad in South Africa and the United States. <clears throat> Took that risk, if you will, of going out my comfort zone in terms of the culture in which I lived in, and and, and really really developed as a person as a result of that. Um, and I was I, I benefited from that. You know, working abroad that was my first legal entity director role at the age of thirty. Um, I, I stayed with Jaguar Landro for a long period of time. Moved to different countries, different different roles, different functions. Uh, I was a member of the the exec, and I'm a Jaguar Landro exec at forty, uh, and went on to be a CEO at forty nine. So I, you know, that that drive, I think, is is something that's been with me from my early days. That desire to actually be successful, that desire to make a difference and uh, do something. Absolutely, Phil. And the reason I chose to sort of delve um, down that um, route, um, as it were, is because it validates that idea that there is very much a journey that one has to go on in terms of developing the qualities needed to be an effective leader. Absolutely. Um, if we think about I think that, it's, in, not, it's yeah. not just about the qualities of a, of a leader, but you, you do need to build up experiences as well. And I mm. think certainly what I tried to do over time was to get those experiences, um, whether that be working abroad, working in different functions, especially early in your career. It really, it really does help to, to develop as a leader. Absolutely. So we've talked a little bit there about influential experiences um, on uh, your career and pa- your leadership <coughs> style, if you will. Um, are there any examples, perhaps, of leadership figures or any individuals that maybe had an influence on that as well? Yes, there are. Um, think back to my, my South Africa days. Um, you know, one globally renowned leader that uh, that I think was incredibly inspirational was Nelson Mandela. Um, and I actually went to work in South Africa just after the free elections. I was there from 95 to 97. And um, you know, why his inspirational, his integrity, his belief, his drive, uh, his perseverance in the, in the face of adversity, but also his humility. And I think uh, you know, there's one memory that I've got in my first year back in South Africa was that that, 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 that uh, picture of him handing over the Rugby World Cup to Francois Pina uh, to the Springboks, you know, and it was only a year before that he was coming under tremendous pressure to actually not disband the Springboks, but change their name because they stood for the uh, the apartheid days, the Afrikaans days, and he refused to do that. And a year later, he was handing over that cup to Francois Pinar and everyone in the country loved him. Um, very, very inspirational leader at a time that was, uh, you know, quite informative for me in my uh, in my early years abroad. Absolutely. And uh, if Nelson Mandela were to uh, return and give an address to um, South Africa or even the world, especially with everything going on at the moment, what sort of things do you think he might say? Well, everyone will be, first and foremost, everyone will be listening to him, but he would also be listening to them. Uh, something I think that Nelson Mandela was well known for, he's very well read. Um, he really got an understanding of what was happening everywhere, and he's very good at making informed decisions, but also as a leader about getting consensus, getting people behind him, and making something happen. Um, I think he would be very proactive. 
um, I think, but he would actually get people believing in, in the approach that he was taking. So, um, Phil, I am conscious of um, running out of time um, today, but um, before we do go about wrapping things up, um, do give me an idea of what you imagine the next 12 months will hold for yourself, for Lotus Group, and what you really hope to achieve in that time, particularly beyond the COVID-19 outbreak as well. Yeah, so I think the uh, the next 12, 12 months is going to be uh, it's going to be challenging. Um, you know, we, we need to navigate our way through the short term crisis that faces everyone in, in the world. Um, but I'm confident with the initiatives that are taking place, the activity that's taking place, a huge focus on that. The world will come through it. Our industry, our country will come through it. And um, and we're embarking. We started a journey, a long term journey with Lotus. It's about reinvigorating a very famous 70-year-old brand with huge investments um, from our shareholders in transforming quite a, quite a small business, a big brand, into a big big business that's, just, that's bigger than the brand, if you will. Uh, it's, a, it's a long-term financial plan. It's a long-term product plan. Uh, and that's what we're focused on delivering, going into new markets, going into new segments, introducing new products and really putting Lotus back on the map um, that, it, that it has been in its, uh, its very famous history. Absolutely, and um, I think it would be fantastic um, in the next few months to perhaps um, have you back on the uh, the programme, Phil, just to see how those hopes have been borne out and look at this retrospectively. Um, but for today, I have to say it's been very insightful and also an absolute pleasure having you on the programme. And thank you so much for your time to come on and speak to me today for the benefit of the listeners. Thank you, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Um, Next up on the programme, we hand over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with 1966 World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst. He remains to this day the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, and I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Sir Jeff. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago. 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? 
Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach, as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham uh, with with a manager obviously like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess w- would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure. When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life but yep. in that 
era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be, who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you. And you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it you, you get them out and Alf I think was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff and I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time and is there do you think uh, a, a specific moment I'm sure there's probably dozens but is there a specific moment if you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising they were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's, that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing in, in the team. But uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games, before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, and Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play, and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out Mm. out. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind 
that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we have some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and say, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It's too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey, or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses itself, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to come up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh that If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by 
by quick one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I think probably it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact. The younger players coming in into the team latterly, um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at that, so many, many, and that's why we're successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. They, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is the word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Chaloner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.